Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories. At Soul Stories, we create spaces for risk-taking, vulnerability, and critical thought. On this season of the podcast, we speak to change makers about their personal journeys and how they are making an impact in their communities. Mike, the host of the Mikeadelic Podcast, is dedicated to liberty, psychedelics, and self-empowerment. Mike has been plagued with depression, escapism, and destructive habits in what he describes as his version of hell. He finds himself masking these through stand-up comedy, corporate success, and travel. In 2016, his life changed when he found his healing through ayahuasca while living with the Shipibo people in the Amazon. I invite you to listen to this conversation and join Mike's very profound journey in this episode. Hey, Mike. Hey, Danny. How's it going? It's going pretty good. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's just jump right into it. Uh, what are what are you creating in the world? Yeah, um, so currently I'm just going to uh, switch my position here because I, I see you sitting kind of looking at me and you know you this can, direction, <laughs> and I feel like it's probably better to uh, to go this way than to sit straight ahead. So mm. just want to be able to, these can go under your butt too. Those would be, might be nice for you. Oh, maybe I should just, maybe I should do that then. Well, this is the show. Just, uh, <laughs> just people gonna... adjusting their seating positions. <laughs> it's kind of like the Marie Kondo tidying up show, but, uh, it's With about sitting. tidy. It's about sitting, <laughs> how to properly sit. So what am I creating? That's, that's a good question. Uh, so you know, I'm, I'm creating a podcast. It's called Mike Adelic. Mm -hmm. Originally I started it with the intention to, well, I was, I was doing uh, stand up comedy in New York and a friend of mine and I had started this podcast about politics. Mm -hmm. We're both libertarians and we thought like, let's talk, let's have a podcast where we talk about politics from a libertarian perspective and kind of pick apart things. And, um, I decided that like, there was just much more that I was interested in. I felt like that sort of framework was a little bit limited. So I went and created a podcast called Mike Adelic where I could talk about other things that I felt passionately about, most notably psychedelics where, you know, you can get the, the name, you know, from yeah. Mike Adelic. You, <laughs> I, always, I always find it <laughs> really interesting when people ask me what the show is about. I'll tell them, yeah, I do a show called Mike Adelic. You're like, oh, what's it about? So I'll usually just give some smart ass answer like what's well, about like, you know, how to get your most most money back on your tax return, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Because it's like it's right in the name. Man. Yeah, if you hear Adelic, you get it. You know, but it but it actually like it, it is about more than that. Like it initially started mm -hmm. as me just being like, cool, like I'm I'm interested in these, you know, philosophical ideas of, of liberty and freedom. And I was reading a lot of books about th those kinds of topics, but I was also having psychedelic experience and I, was, and I was like, well, this is, there's really a message that connects here. And that message is like, you know, the, the importance of the individual and their direct experience in the world and having the freedom to be able to like fully express your, the totality of your being, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's really what Mikeadelic, how Mikeadelic was birthed out of was trying to communicate this idea that, you know, that we, we should be free to experience life and have experiences in life uh, that it could potentially be greatly beneficial for us. Even if they're not greatly beneficial for us, it's like still we should have the freedom to be able to do those things. So one of the slug lines of my podcast is about cognitive liberty, the, the right to mental self-determination, the right to explore one's own consciousness in whichever way they see fit, the right to you know consume whatever you want to consume and alter your consciousness in whichever way you choose without any mediation or legislation or rules or, or authority telling you otherwise you know nobody impeding on your experience of life so that's really where the podcast was birthed out of and then as I kept going on I, I'm just a naturally curious mind so I, I get into all these other topics have guests on the show but really that's the central premise but it's really expanded more 
outside of just like psychedelic substances or psychedelic science and, you know, liberty and things like that has expanded greatly to other areas. Yeah. I'm, I'm so curious how, you know, cause I was on the show and I really enjoyed it cause you do go well beyond just like a conversation about psychedelics. You're really like in it for the human experience and what's happening in society. And how does uh, psychedelics relate to that? Like you talk about cognitive liberty, having the right to consume what you want. How do your experiences with psychedelics inform that? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Because it's, it's such a direct individual experience. Mm -hmm. It's not like going to see a movie or reading a book or, you know, anything like that. It's really having a personal and direct experience uh, with yourself. And that, that's one of the most liberating things, I think. When you're on psychedelics. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like that, ex that the psychedelic experience can help, I think, shatter some of the illusions that have been laid upon uh, most people, I think, in, mm. in a world that is trying to get everybody to conform to a certain set of values and norms that leaves out the, the inner feelings of the individual, the inner thoughts. You know, everybody has this inner monologue that's going on. Everybody has, you know, different reactions to the sensory input data of their, of their experience in life. And, and oftentimes, you know, and I feel that we live in this world that really kind of, it doesn't encourage us to share those things. It, it doesn't encourage us right. to explore those realms and fully come into ourselves and come into the wholeness of our being, you know, and, and oftentimes people can, can really live in a repressed, you know, prison-like environment because they're afraid. They're afraid to share what they think and they're afraid to share what they feel and they're afraid to share, you know, what they really want to express. Mm. And so taking psychedelics for, for me is, is a great, it's, it's almost like leveling up in a video game and getting like the, the, like, like the golden key that opens the door. Mm. It's not the solution to all, all problems or anything like that, but it, it, it opens a door to a room that has infinite number of doors. It, it, it allows you to kind of step outside of yourself and see from a, from a different perspective that there's multiple choices that we can take part in. You know, that's a, that's a very freeing feeling. That's a feeling that I think reconnects you to what I'd like to think is like our eternal cosmic birthright, you know, to be the mm. free, independent, beautiful individual beings that we are and like fully express ourselves to allow that expression to come into the world so that it could meet with other people's expressions so that we can actually create and collaborate a better environment for ourselves. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Some big concepts you just laid on us, Mike. Yeah. I, I'm really interested in, in really big kind of abstract things like that. It's, it's really hard for me to kind of like get into the nitty gritty of stuff. So I like to explore really big areas. Yeah, that's important. So what's an illusion that broke down for you in your process of taking psychedelics? What's something that like maybe you were living in this world and you went through that process and all of a sudden you felt liberated? Stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Stories that are told to us that we believe from yeah. sort of the the mainstream engine of culture and society. And, um, you know, so those stories, how we take those on, how maybe we sacrifice our own identity and our own individuality to conform to, to the group norms. Uh, so that kind of, that becomes more malleable. You can kind of see that these are just kind of stories that are being presented yeah. for, for me. That's how I felt. Also stories within myself, things that I tell myself, the, the narratives that, that I run on, on repeat that reaffirm and justify my behaviors, my actions, my beliefs, you know, psychedelics for me has really just kind of been, you know, when I showed up here, you were putting some stuff in the closet, you know? And so Are you revealing our secrets. <laughs> I'm revealing the behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Um, psychedelics for me has really like opened, like the gave, gave me the key to open that door in the closet. And yeah. then, all the shit that's in there falls out and it's like, okay, cool. 
now I can see clearly what's in here. I can organize it. I can look at it. I could throw it away. I could do whatever I want. I have a visual image now of it. Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, said that when we have a visual representation of what is like what our problems are, what's, what's ailing us, that if we can see that clearly, if we have an understanding of that, that it, they no longer hold power over us. Yeah. So I, that I think we're not afraid to look at them. Yeah. Not, we're not afraid to, we're not afraid to look at them. And I think that like, you know, for me, I, I grew, I grew up in an area, you know, I had certain experiences just like everybody does, you know, the, where you grow up, your family, what year you were born, you know, all the things that come into your life. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson calls it like our reality tunnel, everything that shapes the little tunnel or the bubble that, makes us who we are Mm -hmm. that for me was I I came to find out like that's not really who I am you know like a a fish swimming in water isn't the is is not the water you know it's a fish in the water really for me like when I was taking psychedelics it, it allowed me to see like oh I'm just participating in this water like I'm not I'm not this thing I'm participating in it and I have a choice of, of how I, I navigate through it. So a lot of the things that I was doing and, and who I thought I was um, eroded and yeah. crumbled because they weren't true. Yeah. So there's a destructive process when you have a profound psychedelic experience or a profound experience in, in any sense, you know, getting your mind, your perspective shift, reading a, a really powerful book or being in a sweat lodge or, you know, meditating, doing yoga. Breathing, breathing is great. Of course, <laughs> I am pro breathing. Yeah. I am. I'm not into these people that don't like to breathe. You know, on the like, record or off yeah, the record. I'm yeah. pro oxygen. <laughs> yeah. I'm not anti oxygen. But it, it's you know really connecting with your breath, connecting with your body. We tend to ignore the body mm-hmm. tremendously, but it's it's a it's a huge part of what makes up the full you know human. So you know, getting back to what you were asking, it's like. You know, you just start seeing all this stuff, like the the stuff that's in the closet, and you're like, "Oh, I don't need a lot of this stuff. Mm. Like, it's just holding me down, and I don't even. It, this doesn't even speak to who I am anymore. I can just get rid of this. You know. Yeah. Sometimes that's not easy to do. You know, you hold on to it. The nostalgia factor. Yeah. That's important, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, but this is, this is like my thing. Like, it's part of my identity. I, I I claimed this as right. part of my identity. And, and what happens for when so I lose long. it? Yeah. Who will I be? Right. Where will I go? What will I know? Mm-hmm. What will become of me, you know? And I think that this goes to a really deeper unconscious truth that Ernest Becker talks about in his amazing book, uh, The Denial of Death, that like really it stems from our, our, like the human's awareness of our own mortality. That like we're the only species that we know of on the, on the planet right now that we have the ability to create amazing things works of art ponder and contemplate like the infinite possibilities but also we're just going to be dead in the ground and food for worms so it's like that like yeah that that's a fucked up uh, yeah (laughs) like thing to hold on to it's as you move as you move through life that yeah the 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 terror of finitude of 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 our mortal coil you know and so he's he talks about that and it's like i think that we latch on to all these things all these stories these narratives these identities that are being pushed out to us or that we tell ourselves because it's comforting it's comforting it's secure it's mm-hmm. like we know something right and we can we can box it up and we can put it away and we say done you know i got that figured out right but really we we don't and i think the knowledge of understand like the the realization that we don't know is terrifying, I yeah. think, to most people. Yeah, it makes me think like, it makes me think about doing soul stories and being, you know, working so many hours on this project and spending so much time on it and coming home at the end of the day and being and saying, oh, I do soul stories. You know, this is my thing. This is what I can hold on to. This gives me meaning and purpose in some way, right? Uh, and I imagine without that, the ground underneath me would be a lot shakier, you know, 
and thinking about death and mortality, it's so nice to have things in your life to identify with that you can point to outside of yourself and be like, this is a part of me. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's bring it back. Uh, stand-up comedy in New York, before all of these real, realizations and self-realizations, what's happening? I, I'm so curious about your journey from stand-up comedy to now. So my, my journey into stand-up comedy was just another step in the direction of me trying to find truth. Mm-hmm. So you're in New York, right? Yeah, I'm in New York. I'm working. I was a sales manager at a social media marketing startup company, you know, managing a team of like 14 people. You know, I was 26, so I was like pretty ahead of the curve for, I guess, like people my age. Like I was this in this manager position making six figures. And damn um, nice. Yeah. But I was working like 90 hours a week. Holy shit. Like it, it was insane. And what year is this? Uh, 2000. This was the end of 2000, 2011, 2012. Cool. And uh, so towards the end of 2012, I quit in pretty dramatic fa- fashion. I just stopped showing up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the e- like the easiest way to just give up on something. It's just to just not go. Right. You know, like I would wake up in the morning and my alarm would go off and I, and I would just be like, well, I just, I'm, I don't want to like be this thing anymore. Yeah. So I'm just not, I'm not going to be this thing. Anymore. Yeah. I'm just not going to like, you know, I, I was always that way and I'm not encouraging anybody to be that way, but like, I just couldn't help it. There was a lot of people in like high school when I was growing up and they would like do little things to like get out of homework assignments and stuff like that. And like, I always just like, explicitly was like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you were that kid, <laughs> kid in class who just looked at the teachers like, nope. Yeah, it was yeah, very disruptive and very just like, yeah. Um, but that's how you get into stand up comedy though, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean I think I think that I I think I still retain the comedian's perspective. I think that like the comedian's perspective is actually like a very powerful perspective because mm. in a lot of ways comedians can be truth tellers if they're good. I totally agree. Sometimes some of the most profound things that people say are, you know, they're coming from comedians and it's actually a very kind of like a- a- antiquated idea too, because it's like uh, not antiquated in the sense that it, it doesn't exist anymore, but it actually goes back a, a long time to the, uh, the kings of, of the Middle Ages and, and the court jester. Yeah. The court jester was there to sort of like, as being like the only one that could sort of reveal the truth to the king, to keep to keep like some degree of humbleness mm. to his rule. But as soon as he kind of like stepped out of line and started revealing too much, then, you know, maybe he get his head chopped off. Yeah. yeah. But it was a way of like, you know, kind of communicating the nuances of the illusion being perpetrated from the royalty to the to the population yeah and i think that's what good what good comedy does is reveals the truth and it tells the truth did that draw you in then it drew it drew me in because i couldn't accept like the world as it was everything just seemed absurd to me and the job that i was working yeah i was making a lot of money but i was working a tremendous amount of hours and you get into this state where Everything now is like it's it's all relative. So like I was hanging out with people who had that money and they were spending a tremendous amount of money. So going out and spending, you know, a thousand dollars at like a club was okay to do because you had the money. Because I had the money, but I'm I wasn't experiencing any like real joy or real truth there. It was numbing and yeah. sad. It was like, is this it? Like, is, is this what it's about? Like working a job, you know, this was at, I was a couple years out of college working a job. And so I can make a tremendous amount of money, but I don't have real time to like do anything that's really fulfilling with that money right? because I'm working so much and I'm just so tired that the only thing that I, I find from the offering of, of where I am is alcohol yeah. and, and some kind of, and like, you can now buy the most expensive alcohol as your reward. Yeah, and and get the most amount of attention because you have a a booth at a club and girls come up to you and you feel like, ooh, I'm an important person. Right. You know that it's just like a fraud. Like, it's just a lie. It's bullshit. It's not you. It's not me, and I'm not doing anything to help the world. I'm not doing anything to improve anything. If anything, I'm part of the problem. Yeah. So I I had this... uh, I'll never forget. I went to a doctor, and he checked me out, and 
because I, I was feeling miserable. And he's like, I don't see anything wrong with you. Like, you seem healthy. Unless you're depressed, but you don't look depressed. Mm. Oh, man. Did that hit hard? That hit really hard. Yeah. Because I, I think so many people are depressed. And... I think the average person doesn't really fully understand. Oh, you're depressed. What are you sad? Cheer up. It's fine. Have a drink. Like relax. Right. It's like you have money. Like you have a you have a safe life. Right. Why what would you, you feel bad about that? Exactly. Exactly. And it's like I didn't even really fully understand it at the time, but it 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 did hit me deeply, and I thought about it, and I was like, maybe I am depressed. You know. Mm-hmm. And depression isn't like it's not about oh you feel sad. It's like you feel numb. Yeah. You feel like worthless garbage that mm. you just, you don't want to exist. Yeah. Nothing brings you, nothing sparks joy. And you had that. Yeah. And um, so I, I stopped showing up to that job and I just went to open mics and I just started doing comedy. And, and so at that time when you, you know, with the doctor, that's before comedy, is that some of the spark to like, jump into something new. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm a big believer in in just kind of like following your inner voice or your inner gut feelings to something. I think oftentimes people can really sense that something might be off or something might be wrong and maybe they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Investigate that. Sit with that, learn about that. You'll find something there. Right. So I did. And I said, fuck this. And I, I, I went and I just started doing stand-up. And I, I got a job walking dogs in Madison Square Park, walking dogs for rich people, like the president of Citibank and like these, these people. And uh, I would walk dogs during the day and, and pick up shit. And then I would go and I would, <laughs> and I would tell jokes at night. And that's what I did for, for like about three years. What's that like? Being a comedian, I think, is rarer than people give credit to, to doing. Like what... Maybe even just as an aside, what's that like even getting on stage and telling jokes in front of people? It's amazing. It's really energizing. You know, I really feel the most alive when I'm connected with a crowd or when I'm connected with other people. That to me is the, is the most important thing. Like that's what like gave me to keep showing up, to keep doing it is the, that connection when you hit on a certain kind of frequency with the audience you're in a groove you're in a flow state that is that is so energizing and so rewarding and it's like time stands still there is no such thing as time you know you're just in this moment and it's it's like an eternal moment oh man it's amazing and um you know so god i wish i were funny that makes <laughs> you are, you are uh, funny I, I saw you host that that stained arts open mic that you were funny during that oh wow so that's a big compliment from a comedian yeah i mean i'm you know i'm not i'm currently not practicing comedy right now is there <laughs> it's like a lawyer that's taking a sabbatical is there uh there, was there a moment you remember on stage where you were like yes i said that thing and it connected so hard or is it just like you're in the flow state, so it's hard to even remember? Yeah, really early on when I first started, when I transitioned out of open mics and I started doing shows, which happened fairly quickly. So I was kind of happy about that, but also it could it could have actually been like bad for me too because I rose up so fast that I was just like, oh, I must be amazing. Yeah. But um, there was uh, Ari Shafir, the comedian Ari Shafir, who's uh, a friend of mine and he you're friends with that guy I've uh, you know I mean he's got some clout in the comedy game yeah I mean I I, I guess like I'm not I don't I'm not like best friends we don't like chat on the phone well, we're but, gonna test it after this yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean I consider like I don't know doing comedy with people and in that scene and like you know hanging out and stuff like that like yeah I consider them friends or friendly with them but anyway, he the the point of it, the story is that like, I was he came to New York. He had just moved to New York from L.A. and he was starting to do comedy in New York because you can do tons of shows. You can get up every night. It's really a great way to like hone your craft. And I was on the same show that he was on, and he had went on, and then I was going on after him, and I was like, oh man, this is gonna be like terrible because this guy's like this is. Ari Shafir, he's like, he's really funny, he's popular, like he's good, he's been doing this for a long time. 
But then I went on stage and, you know, I had a couple of drinks. So it kind of early in the early days, it kind of helped me like loosen up a little bit before oh, I went man. on. man, I do that for the stained open mic. Yeah. I, it helps so much. Yeah. But, it, but I just, I just went up there and I just did my set that I've been doing that I prepared for and it went really well. And I just thought, well, fuck, this is like, if I could be on the same show as this guy, then, and people are laughing, then this is good. Like, this is a viable option. Like, I could do this. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, that's cool. Yeah. And so what, what, what led out of comedy? I've told this story quite a bit, and, and, and it's, it was a real, another really defining moment that, like, hit me really hard. Um, depression came back. You know. So comedy is, like, uh, a seemingly antidote for a, a period of time. Sort of. I mean, I, I, I was trying to think that, but, you know, a, a comedian, really funny comedian just killed himself. Steven, uh, Steve, uh, Brody Stevens, sorry, Steve Brody Steve, that's his Twitter. Brody Stevens, who is oh, just a really? genius comedian. Where? Yesterday. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, a couple weeks before, another comedian that I knew and was friends with died, Kevin Barnett, who's really funny, wrote for Broad City and a couple other shows, and he was just really awesome genuine guy did he, he died too? he did not kill himself but it's i feel like you hear about that kind of stuff a lot i i'll never forget when i found out robin williams had had killed himself like yeah. that was a big hit for me because i thought for if somebody with so much joy could end his life like that and all the other comedians that i looked up to like greg giraldo who used to do the comedy central roast but he was so much more than that he was a genius comedian um you know, killed himself and just all these guys that I like looked up to and, and, you know, w being in that world, you start to see why it's like, it's a tough life. Like just kind of struggling and going up and, and, you know, doing shows and, and just being out all night and you get, you know, you get involved with like uh, drugs or, or drinking excessively and things like that. And so, but it, it was, it's, it was great. It was great to be in that experience, but I'll never forget one time that I was kind of feeling numb and depressed, and I was like really f trying to figure out why. I mean, I think I, I, I had been telling the same jokes for a little while, and I really wanted to change my set. I really wanted to start talking about things that I really cared about, that I really believed in, yeah. but I wasn't yet. I was still young in my comedy career, so I wasn't able to do that, and then like my friends who were in comedy for like eight years you know, well ahead of me, they were giving me advice and they were like, you're good, man. You're funny, but you know, it's going to take like seven, eight years for you to really like, you know, break in and, and do something. And I was like, Jesus. Yeah. That's a long time. That's like longer than a PhD. Yeah. So, and, but I was, you know, I, I was like, but fuck it, you know, this is the life for me. This is what I am. You know, and my other I'm friend a comedian. was comedian. Yeah. My other friend was like, look, like, you know, good comedians, like we have to do this. You know, essentially, really good comedians are like sociopaths and <laughs> narcissists, and just like, you hear that all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's true, and like depressed and bitter and judgmental, childlike, you know. And so we have to do this thing. It's not like a like a choice. Like, oh, I think I'll just tell some jokes and then you know whatever. It's like the really kind of committed ones, the good ones, have to do it. They feel compelled to do it. I definitely felt that way, but I I just couldn't shake this this. I couldn't shake like. I couldn't reconcile with the other part of that. And so one night I came off of stage and I did well and, and I walked off the stage and the audience is laughing and clapping and I had a good set and I walked out and I sat down in the green room next to this other comic and I was just, I was like, man, it's weird, you know, I was just like, I just don't like feel anything. Like it's just, and he's like, well, he's like, that's why we're comedians. The only time that we feel good is when we're on stage. Mm. And, and I, and that really Jesus. hit, that really hit me <laughs> yeah. because I looked at my life and I, and I went, I don't want that. Like, I, I want to feel good all the time. Like, I don't want to just, like, feel good for 15 minutes a night. Right. You know? It's like a drug. Right. It, 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 totally a drug. Yeah. You're, my whole, every day, all day, you're just thinking jokes, 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 jokes. And then when you, you got to get that hit every night, like, running around trying to get on a show. And it's exhilarating, and it's fun, and the people you meet are awesome. And there's, you know, it's a great world and there's great people. 
but I was also listening to podcasts. I was listening to Tangentially Speaking by uh, Christopher Ryan, who wrote the book Sex at Dawn. I was listening to the Aubrey Marcus podcast. I was listening to Joe Rogan. I was listening to a lot of different things. Alan Watts lectures, Terrence McKenna. I was re- and I was you know having psychedelic experiences. I was doing all this other stuff. And I just thought, my world is so much bigger than just the stage here in New York in these tiny, dark, dim-lit rooms. Like, you know, I want to experience life more. I want to get out there. And the other part of this is my jokes, I wasn't communicating my truth. Yeah. I was just telling jokes. You were just getting people to laugh. I was just getting people to laugh. And my... Like I, I, I wasn't able to really like be maybe the comedian that I could be because I, I wasn't authentically and truthfully living and, and sharing that experience on stage in a humorous way. Mm. So I booked a one way ticket to Bangkok, Thailand and just had like 10 grand and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go there until the money runs out. Well, that's a dramatic shift in the story. Yeah. Wow. So what's in, what's in Thailand? Um, Thai people. <laughs> 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 land oh wow earth uh <laughs> that just knocked me back oh, that was good uh what a beautiful place i mean you know it's what'd I, you what'd you get there for yourself yeah so i i traveled around thailand i was in laos and 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 vietnam and and i remember when i was in vietnam um i was i had such a great adventure so many great experiences met people from all around the world Traveling is so important, I think, to see that we're all the same. Mm. You know, we're, it's, I mean, you can watch the news and you can, you know, turn into this low frequency shit that's <laughs> out there. And, you know, you think that, like, oh, don't go there. It's scary and dangerous over there. And it's like, nah, like people are, people are just people everywhere, yeah. you know? And, immersing yourself in other cultures and really learning about the human experience from different perspectives was so beneficial for me. But I got to this place where I was in Vietnam and I remember I was reading this, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson thing and he was talking about such a classic story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's very profound. And he said, uh, he said, travel is a fool's game. He goes, wherever I go, I real he's like I have the idea to go to Rome and you know I pack up all my belongings and all my things and I have this idea that I'll be a different person when I get there and my thoughts will be different and my experience will be different and all these things but I but I realize that wherever I go you know my monster comes with me oh man and that was another quote that it hit me too and it was like fuck <laughs> yeah. because because I was enjoying this trip in Thailand and Laos and 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 Cambodia and Vietnam and just going all over and months abroad and having all these experiences but there was still that thing inside my soul that was itching saying like let me out like we got yeah. work to do we got things that we got to communicate you know I was I was writing some blog posts at the time and and I, I was looking back at my friends who were I, I was on that podcast and I left it to go travel and, and I was looking at my friends doing comedy and who's getting on TV and who's doing what and you know who's what are they talking about in their shows and I was missing it and I was like there's a part of me that needs to like get back to get back to my world where I'm from yeah and do the thing like let the thing that's like inside of me like come out to create so many people traveling backpackers people that i met were just content laying on the beach all day doing nothing drinking you know, at night drinking at night you know drinking mushroom shakes you know floating down mushroom rivers shakes. yeah oh my god just really kind of like being at peace with just being yeah and i i thought i could do that but i i have did you feel like they had a a, le- a level of escapism though in that or did you feel like they were at, like there was a comfortable at peace feeling Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that's, I think you brought it up already. I think that's the tricky part of travel. Yeah. Is it escapism or is it self-discovery? I think it could be both. Yeah. You know, I think it could be both. I think it's just about really kind of being truthful about what you're experiencing and how you feel about it. I think some people are just content just laying on a hammock all day and, you know, just kind of not really having any goals and not really doing anything. And that's cool. That's fine. I kind of wish I could be like that. Yeah, me too. But there's this thing inside of me. So I was like, I got to come back. I got to come home. Got to, you know, jump back into the fire. And so I came back 
you know. So what fire did you go into uh, when you got back? Well, I, I did get back into comedy. I did hop back on my podcast, but I got roped into this uh, job, like this this company that my friends were starting, another group of friends that I had. And they I had uh, wrote something for them, and they were like, wow, this is really good. Like, do you want to work with us? And I was like, uh, sure, because I needed a day job. I, need, I didn't want to go back to Walking Dogs. So I started working for them, and um, it was really fun. It was a really fun environment. It wasn't the doldrum, you know, of showing up to an office and all this stuff. It was just me and like five, six of my friends creating a company together, doing social media marketing. And I started dating this girl who is like a lot younger than me. And we just, it was all about just kind of like partying and, and enjoying the, the fruits of, of life. And it was really fun, but it was another distraction. You know, yeah. it was another sidetrack. I got lost in for a little, for a little bit. So that's so interesting. You have so you have so many little like twists and turns in your journey on like to where you are now, which as I know you now as a very like conscious person who is working towards improving yourself and the lives of others, you have this depression, you have this itching feeling, this thing gnawing at you. When does that finally come to the surface? When is it like I can't ignore this anymore? Yeah. Um, when I decided that I had to go to Peru and drink ayahuasca, <laughs> yeah, I had been thinking about it for a long time. What year is this? I went in the summer of 2016. Cool. But I had been thinking about it for a couple of years, you know, and I had been really trying to like self-medicate, self-heal taking mushrooms, LSD, MDMA, things like that. But I was really intrigued by ayahuasca. I really th felt called to it. I really felt like it could be a great opener. And you hadn't done it at this point. I hadn't done it, no. And I knew, because I knew if I wanted to do it, I wanted to go to a reputable, honest, safe place. So I really tried to research and do you know, my due diligence in finding out like the, the proper place to go. I also wanted to do it in the home where it was born with the native tribes of the land, the, the yeah. indigenous Shipibo people of the, of the Peruvian Amazon. And it just, it just seems so fascinating to me. I mean, it was just like, if I have an opportunity to do this, like I want to do this, you know, but it was really more for, for the healing that I, that I needed. Like I really just felt that I had a lot of stuff to work through. I think that, um, I had fallen into a place where I wasn't in control of my habits and behaviors as much as I wanted to be. Mm. So I was doing a lot of destructive things and I've, I've done that my whole life. I've done a lot of destructive things. If you don't mind sharing, what does that look like? What is your destructive pattern? Yeah, it's uh it's, it's ugly. Um, being isolated, uh, being being a recluse, you know, being secluded, trying to escape from the world, binge watching fantasy films or movies, or just escaping, playing video games, an unhealthy amount of pornography consumption, mm. um, cocaine, depressants, alcohol, tremendous amount of alcohol, smoking cigarettes. Um, overeating mm, yeah you know spending days just in my apartment alone by myself just ordering pizza drinking masturbating and 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 you know doing coke and 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 smoking just anything that i could do to just escape myself and and numb myself and not feel and just and escape Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it was a... Because it's, it's hell. Like, hell exists, that's it. Yeah. It's, I, mean, I mean, there's different versions all over the world. Everybody has their own version of hell. Sometimes that hell is thrust upon you by, like, an invading force, you know, or something like that. Sometimes you create it yourself. We, there's different versions of hell. And it's, it's literally hell. 
And um, I just, I got to a point where I just, I didn't want to feel this anymore. Like I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I, I went down, I, I, I did ayahuasca. It was, it was amazing. I had a life-changing experience, to say the least. Yeah. Well, bring us up. What does that look like? What's that inspiration? What's that change? So a lot of, I think a lot of people, ayahuasca is a very serious, fun, playful, trickster, revealer, profound, you know, wise medicine. It's a lot of things. It's very complex, but it is no joke. It's, and it is also a joke at the same time, but really it's a, it's a very serious endeavor. And you really, I think one of the things is that you have to be prepared. If you really want something, you have to understand what it it's going to realistically take to get you to that point. And I think a lot of people don't fully understand that. I don't think I fully understood that. I thought that I was going to go down there and I was going to get this blissful healing and I was just going to come back and everything was going to be like rosy and I was going to have a glow and all the thoughts that I had and the feelings were just going to go away. They were just going to be, you know, little unicorns were going to come and they were going to pick (laughs) them up and fly away to magical (laughs) land and never come back. Yeah, take me there. But it's a tremendously destructive process. And like there's this great book uh, called The End of Your World by Ajishante, who's a spiritual teacher, who talks about this, this in order to birth something new, the old things have to crumble and die. And the, uh, the awakening process is a destructive one. And I, I didn't really fully understand that. So when I came back from my ayahuasca experience, it was the end of my world. My world crumbled and, fall, and fell apart. Something really interesting that just happened was the way you used destructive twice in two very different contexts. Like you talking about those destructive habits of your, I felt like a sense of shame. I felt like, you know, what that does like to put you in your own hell versus a destruction to create. And I think, I think people get stuck there. And I think that's why it's so hard to get out of those destructive habits. Cause I think they know when they push that comfort zone or take that next leap, there's going to be destructive qualities to that. Does it make sense? Yeah, totally. Because you know that if you want to advance, if you want to move into a certain realm, old things need to die for new things to be birthed. But that also means that you you have to you have to reveal yourself to the world more, and you have to take on more responsibility in that process to handle the mess that you're cre- going to be creating in order to evolve. Yeah, you know, I mean, like. You know, there's perverse ways of, of thinking about, destru- you know, of, about that. You know, it's like the United States military that will just like level a place in the Middle <laughs> East and just be like, oh, yeah, we're doing it for the good of these people to liberate them. And right. it's like we took out a mosque, but it was for the good of everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some uh, collateral damage. It's like that's a very like perverse way. That's a that's a perverted way of, of thinking. That's 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 that's, that's manipulative. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's not the way to go about, you know, making a change, but making a change on an individual level from yourself in order to gr- learn and grow. Yeah, old things that you cling on to that aren't beneficial to get you to the place that you see yourself or that you want to be, they need to fall apart and and sometimes they fall apart in ways that you don't expect, you know, and, and, it, and it can hurt. But out of that pain grows an understanding. So why is it so hard for people to make that choice, you think? Because it's a lot of work. Mm. It's that responsibility piece. Yeah, it's like what I said about, like, the, the closet metaphor, like, before. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of shit in that closet, but if we just keep the door closed, we don't have to deal with it. Yeah. You open it up, and all that shit falls out. You man, you're gonna the work. Yeah, you're gonna spend like I don't know, maybe three hours on your Saturday cleaning that up. Who wants to do that? Right. Rather eat pizza. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather eat pizza. I'd rather check out. You know, tune out. Okay, so ayahuasca comes, and you make this choice. You get to this point where it's like, 
I, I'm living in hell and I'm, I need to get out of this hell. What, what's the tipping point At, during ayahuasca after ayahuasca? What's the realization? Well, I had so many great realizations during ayahuasca. And then when I came back, I was so energized and I was so enthusiastic, but you know, a lot of people in this field talk about how important the integration is afterwards, you know, really unpacking all those things that you uncovered there and fully inserting them into your life, you know, in a healthy way. And I went back to New York City to my Lower East Side apartment to the chaos of, of New York and it was it was pretty rough. Uh, I was very opened up and I think that when we strive to heal ourselves, advance ourselves in any way, enhance our capacity for becoming better human beings, it doesn't just go in one direction. The whole circumference of the experience widens. Mm. You know what I mean? So like the capacity to, to be good and to do good and to bring more light into the world and, and become a better person expands, but so does its opposite end. So does the, the knowledge and the understanding of, of the depths of the shadow world and the shadow side and the, and the unconscious. And so I was very opened up to everything, more sensitive to my environment, more sensitive to my surroundings, the people around me, your choices, more empathetic, mm. more conscious, more aware. Because you went to those dark parts of yourself. I went to those dark parts of myself and I had them unlocked and I had them opened up and now they're all there and I can feel them and I can sense them and people around me and, and all around me and it's very overwhelming. It's like, um, I don't know, like uh, in the movie X-Men when Professor Xavier like starts hearing all of the voices of all the mutants like around the world. Yeah, and X2, it's like, yeah. It's like too much to handle. You know, it's like that, you know, and... Um, Great movie. Yeah. So things started happening in my life. My relationship ended. My job ended. I couldn't cope really with what had happened to me. I couldn't, I didn't know how to properly integrate. I didn't know how to deal with what had happened to me. Uh, it was a very powerful thing. So things started to fall apart. But, you know, in hindsight, it was for the better. To help mm. me move forward to where I, I wanted to be. Was that a plug for Pema Chodron? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, she's great. Go read her stuff. <laughs> um, wow. Well, congrats. I mean, congratulations on on the journey. Like, still on it. Yeah, yeah. Never stop. But like, it was a, kind of a short period of time if you think about it. You made a lot of change in what five years. Yeah, and then like. For people who are not me, which is everyone Other else. People. <laughs> <laughs> like for people looking from on the outside looking in, friends, family members, they're concerned, they're worried, what's going on? You're so erratic and your choices, you're crazy, what's wrong with you know what I mean? But it's like you just have to like I, I just you can't listen to that. You just have to follow your your path and go in the direction that you feel is is the right one to go in. And I definitely got a lot of, a lot of people that were questioning what I was doing and worried about me and not sure, you know, the, that I was doing the right things or people want you, a lot of people in my life wanted me to just, just settle down, just get a job, just right. re relax, just calm down. Don't worry about all this shit. Just, you know, think positively. Yeah. Just think positive. You know, you just get a job. You make a little money. You're able to go get out and married. have a steak dinner, get yeah. married, have a couple kids. Forget about it. Then, yeah. you know, when you're 60 and you don't have to work anymore and you're, you know, have erectile dysfunction and you're all <laughs> wrinkled, then you can, you know, you could just happily die and you could start enjoying your, you could enjoy your life then and then you can die. And yeah. Isn't that nice? It's yeah. like, no, it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. We just live in denial and repression and illusion my whole life. And then what? So I could experience a little joy in my, my older years. Fuck that. I want to, I want to know what's going on now. Right. You know? And so from the outside looking in for a lot of people who are thinking about these things and maybe want to start exploring more about themselves and, and, and opening up and listening to their inner voice and their inner calling, you're going to have people there. There's resistance. 
people yes. are gonna are gonna try and stop you, and those people, people that you love, people that you love are gonna try and stop you. They're gonna try and tell you you're crazy you're and weird. do it in weird ways too. Like yeah. there's the people who say it's crazy, and then there's the people who like make little sabotages in your life. Totally, that you're not even aware are happening. Exactly, yeah. And they're and they're always just gonna try and drag you to where they are because it's comforting for them. Right. You know, like I, I it's like. I had a role in a movie and I was given, this is just a, a metaphor that I'm using here is like, Oh, I was, thought you were about to tell us about a movie. Man. No, like, no. Um, but, uh, I did write a couple screenplays, but <laughs> nothing ever happened Plug. with them. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, other people in your life, it's like the, this movie of your life, they sort of assign you roles. They assign you a script. And when you start doing things that, that go off of their script, they're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Like, you're not the person that was playing this role. Like, you're going off script. Like, this is weird, man. Like, we want you back. We want you here. We want you doing what we know. Like, we we all agreed to this script, and you stay in your role, and you read your lines. And yeah. when you start going beyond that and, and out of that, uh, in whatever area you're in, whatever realm that is, people get scared, afraid, judgmental and jealous I think, yeah because they're they're looking at you that's doing things that are not according to any script and you're just you're doing these things and they're like at some degree going ah, fuck i wish i could do that but they're too afraid to admit it or they don't know it and they don't they might not even know that that's happening within right. themselves right exactly yeah let's take a quick pause i'm about to pee myself <laughs> quick pause for a piss All right. Actually, I have a good joke. Uh, <laughs> intermission joke. This was, uh, I, I heard this joke at um, the ayahuasca center that I was working at. One of the facilitators told it, and I thought it was great. He said, uh, the, uh, the Dalai Lama walks into a pizza place, and the guy says, what can I get you? And the Dalai Lama says, Make me one with everything. <laughs> so then uh, the guy says, okay. So he's, he makes it and then um, he gives him the money. And then the guy, the pizza guy behind the counter, uh, the Dalai Lama says, like, change. And then the guy says to the Dalai Lama, change must come from within. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's that joke. <laughs> I wish I heard it. Was it uh, was it funny? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you laughing. Yeah. I didn't hear Comga laughing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I told it right. I heard it from someone else. But, uh, yeah. um, well, we'll I'll listen to it on the playback. Cool. Great. Um, so the question at the beginning is, what are you creating in the world? And then, you know, you started off talking about Mycadelic, and then you went through all your experiences and all these things that you've overcome. And I think the creative process is so fascinating to me because I think there creativity is everywhere. And there are so many different places we can create from within ourselves. So at one, I mean, at one point you're creating a wild, wildly successful podcast, right? I mean, you told me once it was, you had about a hundred thousand listeners, which is in insane, I think in this entrepreneur creative world and you're creating comedy and then, but you're also in this like kind of depressed state where you're still trying to discover this part of yourself that's not quite coming out. And now after, you know, I wouldn't say being fully realized cause that's, you know, overselling anybody, but being a more realized person, what's it like, what's the difference in creating from those places? It's just about like creating from a place of truth. I mean, it, that's really what it's all about is there's so many moments in our days that we choose not to say something or we question something that we're thinking or we question something that we're feeling. We feel afraid or scared to share that or let that out or fear of being judged, shamed, guilted. That's so crippling. You know, that's such a crippling feeling and when you can move beyond that and really live 
more in tune with your true, authentic, genuine self, I think that you start creating things that resonate with people on a, on a different level. Mm. One of the things that I realized was that during my depression, I, I had left that successful podcast and I had created my own thing, but I was still in this very dark place and, and I was kind of using it as a way of therapy. I would turn on the microphone and I would just reveal what was going on with myself. And I, and I would just put it out there. And every time I put it out there, I would be like, oh, my God, like, you know, nervous and kind of scared and worried. Like, I'm just putting this thing out there. But little by little, people started responding to that. And let me tell you, like, the messages that I got from people were just so – it touched my heart. Mm. My heart that maybe I didn't even know that was really there, you know, and that I had – I had thought that – I was this guy with, you know, I was, I'm this kind of version of a man and I'm this thing and this is who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to act and how I'm supposed to feel. And when I kind of revealed, like when I took my mask off, when I took my, when I entered myself nakedly into the verbal virtual atmosphere mm -hmm. of the internet via podcasting, I found that there's other people out there that are going through the same things that are thinking the same things, feeling the same things. And that was a profound transformation. And I thought to myself, well, I might not be the smartest guy. I might not be the funniest guy. I might not be talented and skilled in any areas. But if there is maybe one thing that I can do, it is to just show up naked in the world mm. and reveal like who I am, flaws and all totally fully you know vulnerably and just expose that and i found great power in that yeah. and and freedom and peace and in that you know that you you are lucky enough to have experienced early success as you mentioned earlier what's the difference between doing a podcast for 100,000 people where you may not feel fully yourself or in your truth versus doing a podcast for less people, but you feel like you're in your truth. Well, it's, it's just the different level of communication and feedback from the audience. Yeah. So with the other show that I was doing and, you know, with the comedy that I was doing too, it was always nice for people to come up and say like, oh, that was really great. Or, you know, an audience laughs, you know, immediately like what you're doing is good, which is one of the best. I love that. I love how comedy is just so direct. Like it's, you know, uh, feedback right away. Yeah. It's feedback right away. It's like you just, it's, something's funny. There's an involuntary action that comes with that. You know? Yeah. There's this great comedian, Pete Holmes, that talks about, oh, I love Pete Holmes. he's like, I wish I, he's, he goes, I wish other things had that, you know, with comedy, like you tell a joke and you laugh. He's like, I wish that, uh, that would happen with people like when they did magic tricks. So someone would perform a magic trick and then there would be this involuntary function that would just come out and you'd be like, ah! <laughs> magic, you know, like you have to, you're forced to just let that out. So that was one of the great things of comedy. But when, when people from the podcast would, would, you know, say like, Oh, like, you know, Mike, great point, like good stuff. It was sort it was more logical, like affirmations. It was more like you, you made a good point. You said something that was smart or, uh, that makes sense with what I was doing with Mike Adelic and kind of revealing myself and being vulnerable. It was heart centered, deep messages coming through pages from people telling their story, sharing their experience and really letting it out from their heart space. And the, that holds so much more weight in my opinion than anything else than, than the sort of like egoic, you know, logical, winning an argument or making a good point or something. Right. It kind of reminds me of just like playing a game, you know, like I often am obsessed with how many YouTube views a video gets. And so like my favorite artists in the world will get 40,000, 50,000 when they like create a giant hit for themselves. It's like 1.2 million, you know, 
But then when I see like the pop artists, it's like, and there's exceptions to this, but like 333 million views. I just wonder if that like pop game, you know, and there's deep pop, but like maybe more of the superficial pop that's like, you're, you've just figured out how to A plus B equals C. You got a response. You got a response that makes you look good, that says you're successful versus what you're talking about, where you create like a true piece of art from your like direct heart and soul. And that connects to somebody and that makes them, that connects you to somebody and that helps both of you move forward in your life. Yeah, I'm not I'm not interested in doing anything other than that because the power of that is so much. That's why I, I tell people all the time, do the thing that you want to see in the world. Be the person that you wish that you had when you were, you know, in need of going through something because mm. there's other people that are out there that are going through that. We're all the same. You know, the it's just it's not exposed as much and if you can be the exposer if you can be the one that that walks you know ahead you know naked and 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 exposed and vulnerable that encourages other people to do the same thing and that creates such a more powerful resonance than the 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 i i win i'm good uh i i'm you know I'm I have I'm 40 I'm validated I'm I'm popular I I played that game man like I've played that popular We all have you know I want to yeah. be cool I want to be accepted I want to be liked I know I don't get, care about that anymore I care about I don't care about having 40 million people you know following me on Instagram if they don't if they're not actively engaged and compassionately open and caring and wanting to be living in truth and so the quality is more important than the quantity. Uh, th- th- if you're creating something and you're doing something, if you only have five people that are listening, but those five people are affected by what you're doing, you're doing something important. Yeah. Yeah, you said that to me the other night at the bar. You told me, like, you're like, when I was getting started to get create this, you're like, if five people listen, that's five people. Those are five human beings. And that really impacted me because after doing your podcast, a couple of my friends talked to me about it and it was like, wow, two of my friends listened to that. Like, that's amazing. Like nobody had to listen to that. Nobody, you know, and it, 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 it actually really deepened, uh, a friendship with one of my, um, longtime buddies who I talked to on the phone all the time. We brought up topics that we normally never go to because of being on your podcast. Cool. Awesome, man. That's great. I, that's one of my favorite things to do is I don't know shit. I'm an idiot and I'm self-destructive still. And it's a battle. It's a journey. It's a process. But if I can provoke thought, if I can encourage other people to be curious, if I can encourage other people to share and open up and reveal themselves and be truthful and walk a path that feels honest and genuine to them, I, I feel like I'm doing I'm doing something good. I'm doing like my part or whatever. And that's all I care about. Like the, everything else is bullshit. You know, the, the people in our lives, that's what matters. It, it's, we live in this world now. I think that really just puts a value. You're, you're valued upon how much money you make. That's your worth how much you produce, right. how productive are you, how efficient are you? How many likes, how many views? How, yeah. many? how many likes, how many views? Oh, can you say something really powerful in, in a tweet? Can you post a <laughs> meme that gets shared a bunch of times and stuff like that? It's like, sure, that's all cool and good, but like, what, are you really, what impact are you really having? Are you hitting somebody right in the chest, reaching through their body, grabbing their heart, and then, you know, letting that that light shine through their 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 soul and their entire being and hit them with every on every cell of their body Mm -hmm. if you can do if you can find that people like that surround yourself with people like that and be a part of that that's i think everything that we really want but we we don't realize how how fucking it's like right it's right there it's right you're right you're right here yeah you know it seems so much farther away than it is. Yeah, and it's not. I learned a lot living with the Shipibo people in the Amazon. They love being alive. They 
value the time that they spend with each other truly and sincerely in the moment and not just with themselves, but with their environment. They treat everything with life, with reverence, with respect. We're a family, the, the earth, the animals, the people, the air, this field of whatever that we're in that we can't describe. It's all alive. Mm. It all, it all has energy to it. And it's our family. And what's more important than bonding and, and knowing someone and being in life with others and in communion with other people? I, I don't think that there's anything more valuable than that. Mm. I think we just figured it out. I think it's over. <laughs> yeah, so type it up, send it to the president, and get the, hopefully he'll give a, a speech Yeah, and give me credit for it. <laughs> yeah, if you got Trump to give that speech, that would be, uh, you might be the savior of the universe. Okay, we have to open our heart chakras. Huge chakra, huge opening. <laughs> Tremendous opening, people, okay? <laughs> wow. You heard it here. Yeah. Donald Trump impression on the Soul Stories <laughs> podcast. Oh man, yeah. I I love uh I love doing that. My uh <laughs> my friend was talking to me about the Mycadelic podcast and he's like, Oh, your friend's impression of Joe Rogan was perfect. Oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? It was like the DMT quote. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> I forget what I said, but yeah, he's always He's like, oh, it's entirely possible, you know. Have you ever done DMT? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like his transition to everything. Yeah. Oh man. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah. Yeah. You enjoy it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Um where can uh where where can we find you? Well, you can check out the Mycadelic podcast. It's everywhere the podcasts are. Uh YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, other places, other podcast apps. And then Instagram, Mycadelic underscore podcast. I'm trying to put out more content there. I'm kind of looking at my Instagram as, as a, a media extension of the podcast. So, you know, little videos, clips, quotes, things like that, that I'm going to be putting out there to try and, you know, penetrate the, the social media mind. The machine. <laughs> the machine. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's cool, it. Man. Yeah. And then if you want, find me in Denver. I don't know. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Mike's a cool guy. Hang out with Mike. Yeah. Hang out with me. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. Having these conversations is super important to me as a person and the backbone behind why we do everything at Soul Stories. I would be extremely grateful if you were to leave a review at iTunes and share this episode with someone you care about. It helps us build the movement. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.